Colossians 2, verses 1 and 3. This is, saints, the word of the Lord, so please give it your full attention. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me personally, personally see my face, that their hearts may be knit, encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> Actually, verses 1 and 2 we will be considering today. Verse 3 we will consider next Sunday afternoon. As we come to the opening of Colossians chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2 we see three things. The third thing well, we may not touch upon and we will consider next time we're together. But for our time together we see three things in these first two verses. Number one, we see a pastor's heart. Number two, we see a congregation's aim. And number three, we see a Christian's assurance. Again, from these two verses, we have before us a pastor's heart, a congregation's aim, and a Christian's assurance. Those are our three points we want to consider. Again, the last point we might just briefly touch on. Let's first consider a pastor's heart. A pastor's heart. As you know... Uh, St. Paul did not start this church that he's writing to. More than likely, it was his friend uh, that he was locked up with at one point named Epaphras, who planted this church in Colossae. However, in light of Paul not being the pastor of this church, this does not stop St. Paul from viewing this church in Colossae as his own sheep. To Paul, it didn't matter if he planted this church or not. In fact, to Paul, it didn't matter if these Colossae Christians called Paul pastor. St. Paul loved this church. And we see the love he has for these Christians in the opening of chapter 2. Again, Paul says in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have in your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, there are many things verse 1 tells us. But in general, verse 1 shows us the pastoral heart of the Apostle Paul. Verse 1 shows us the pastoral heart of the Apostle Paul. And this is something, congregation, that may be underlooked when we consider the Apostle Paul. When we think of St. Paul... We think of many things. First, we might think of him being a theological or intellectual giant. Just read the first five chapters of Romans. We then might think of Paul as one who was fearless, one who was courageous, one who was always ready and willing to preach the gospel of Christ. We commend Paul for such courage. But as we come to verse 1 of Colossians chapter 2, our eyes are open to see another side of the Apostle Paul. And that is the pastoral heart of St. Paul. And we specifically see this pastoral heart in the opening of verse 1. Again, Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have in your behalf. Here, Paul says that 
He's going through a great struggle on the behalf of the Colossae Christians. And saints, this is the pastoral heart of Paul on display. First, because St. Paul says that he is laboring, notice, not for himself, but for these people in Colossae. He says, I am laboring for you. In other words, he is striving for them. Meaning, Paul, in his pastoral ministry, rather, in his ministry in general, there was no glory for himself that he wished to obtain, at least presently speaking. Paul was not interested in getting an invitation to the latest theological conferences of the day. He was not interested in his name on the bestsellers New York Times list. But rather, Paul was striving for the sake of the church. Paul was laboring for the sake of the church. These Christians who Paul even acknowledges, and get this, have never seen Paul personally. They have never met Paul. Remember, Paul is writing this letter in jail. And these Christians have not personally seen Paul. And Paul has never seen these Christians. He only knows of the great faith that they have. And Paul here says, in light of all of that, my struggles are for you. My struggles and my laboring and my striving is for you. And saints of God, this is something of what the pastor goes through. Paul's laboring is a likened to the laboring of a minister and of a pastor. And pastor Antonio already touched on this, rather much of this in the morning. But to echo Pastor Antonio, elders are to labor for the congregation. Elders are to labor and strive for the congregation. And that is what Pastor Antonio and I do for Reformation Bible Church. The aim of your elders' life outside of our families is for you to live well and to die well. That is to be the aim of every minister. And saints of God, that is the aim of my life. And that is the aim of Pastor Antonio's life. Your elders, saints of God, labor for you. Every day as we are praying for you, it is a, it is a laboring, it is a striving. As we pray for you daily, we place your burdens upon ourselves. That although we cannot fight your battles for you, we can fight your battles in prayer. We can fight your battles, saints of God, in prayer. We can bring all of what you are going through before the Lord. Your elders labor for you as we are studying and preparing sermons. As Pastor Antonio said, I didn't start preparing this sermon until Friday night because, quite frankly, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do with this text other than really just explain it and then move on. And thank the Lord that the Holy Spirit brought a new light to what I was reading. But your elders pray for you, or your elders strive in the sermons that they prepare for you. And Pastor Antonio, he said something about myself and my, and my uh, uh, inadequacies of trying to understand the text. But also, he himself says many times that he goes to bed, sometimes at three in the morning, trying to, trying to, and laboring and wrestling with the text. We read commentary after commentary. We read theologian after theologian. We engage ourselves in deep and long meditation on the verses we're going to preach. First, trying to figure out 
what it means for the sake of ourselves, and then try to figure out what it means for the sake of yourself. And also, the best way we can preach it, for God's glory and for your joy. Saints of God, your pastors and your elders, being your pastor, rather, and your elders, is not a job for us. This is not something that God has called us to because we have an itch to preach. You know, there are some ministers that are like that. I know of one specifically that they just preach and they have a desire to preach because they just want to get their voice out there. They want to be heard. And saints of God, that is not why an elder is to be an elder. An elder is not to is not to long to be in the ministry in order for their voice to be heard. In order for them to say something that no one else has ever said before. The elders' work is not for glory. It's not for honor. It's not for praise. It's not for a following. It's not for a greater name. But for the triune God to be glorified. And for you to have the fullness of joy in Jesus Christ. That is the laboring of an elder. And that is the laboring of St. Paul. That is why Paul is striving for people who he has never seen face to face. The aim of St. Paul's ministry, saints of God, was the care and spiritual well-being of the saints of God. Paul was not ashamed to tell these Christians, and isn't that, isn't that, isn't that interesting? That, that Paul, in the very beginning of chapter 2, he just lays out what he's going through. Paul was not ashamed to tell others, I'm struggling, I'm laboring, and saints of God, I will not be ashamed to tell you, and on the behalf of Pastor Antonio, please pray for your elders. Please, if there's anything that you can do in your day, pray for your elders, because we desperately need them. But we have to ask saints, how specifically was Paul laboring? How specifically was Paul laboring? One commentator said, this word laboring or struggling is meant to give us the picture of an athlete exerting every ounce of energy he has in the struggle of a contest. The idea is that Paul labored hard, toiled, strove, agonized, struggled, and wrestled in prayer. In prayer. Let me just tell you, this sermon is just about prayer. That's just what this sermon is going to be about, quite frankly. In other words, the struggling for the sake of these Colossae Christians that Paul is going through is a likened to an athlete who's agonizing to win a game. And here Paul says, that's the type of struggle he has for these Christians in Colossae. We must take note, saints, that Paul's struggle was not in the context of him running a race or playing a sport. He wasn't agonizing because he's trying to win the NBA championship. That's, that's not why he is striving. But rather, Paul's struggle was in the context of prayer. Paul's agonizing over these Christians was when Paul was in prayer. When Paul was on his knees, chained, as you all heard last Sunday morning, chained to a Roman guard. I didn't even mention this. Imagine all the theology that the Roman guard was even hearing when Paul was praying. Imagine all, imagine, imagine all the theology that they were hearing when Paul was, was pinning his words and he might have even told the Roman guard, hey, how does this sound? What do, you, what do you think this sounds like? 
Paul, being chained to a Roman guard, is laboring and toiling in prayer. Paul makes mention of this already in Colossians 1.9. For this reason also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, saints of God, Paul was not only an intellectual giant, but also Paul was a spiritual master. Paul was a spiritual master, meaning Paul understood the power of prayer. Paul, you don't need to be charismatic to say something like that, saints. Paul understood the power in and of prayer. And this is something, congregation, that we can all take note of and we need to be reminded of. That in case you have forgotten, prayer works. Prayer works. Prayer is not, saints of God, something that we leave off at the very end of our day. But rather, prayer is one of the chief means that God providentially works. Meaning, in in order for something to come about, God has decreed that in order for that thing to come about, prayer must happen. Prayer must happen. Prayer, then, saints of God, is not a fruitless enterprise. Prayer is not a waste of time. And why is not prayer a waste of time? Unlike Islam and their prayers, and Mormons and their prayers, and Jehovah's Witnesses and their prayers, and Buddhists and their prayers, and Hindus and their prayers. What's the main difference? Because God hears our prayers. Because the God whom we serve is real. The God whom we serve is the true and living God. And God doesn't just hear our prayers, congregation. Here's the beauty. God answers our prayers as well. God answers our prayers. How many of us can testify, congregation, that prayer works? When my son, Owen, was born, I got that one dreaded uh, knock on the door that every parent um, hopes that they never get. Nurse comes in. Father, where you at? I didn't talk to you. Pulls me aside, says, your son has a hole in his lung. Right now, he's a NICU. You know, NICU is really ICU for kids. That's what NICU is. He's right now in the NICU, and we're working on him. What do you think I did after? I went to the nearest bathroom, and I prayed to the Lord harder than when I was a little kid waiting for my report card to come in the mail. I prayed so, so hard. And then we hear another knock. And then the doctor says, or rather the nurse says, your son might need now a blood transfusion. So what happens? You go back to the bathroom. And I ask the Lord, Lord, if it is your will, please do all that you can do to save my son. And saints of God, my son right now is in the back. God answered my prayer. God heard my prayer. How many of you, saints of God, can amen and testify that God hears prayers? And saints of God, Satan knows this. Satan knows that God answers prayers. Satan knows that God is in the business of answering prayers. Satan knows that prayer works. How many of you, when you are praying, start thinking about 
other things that you shouldn't be thinking about? How many times when you're praying, you immediately start getting sleepy? How many times when you're praying, you immediately forget, oh, my oven is on? How many of you, when you're praying, you, you, you forget that the water is running? Oh, there's something in my car I, I need to go get. There's so many distractions that come our way when we pray. In fact, if I was the enemy, praise the Lord that I'm not, I would fill your day up with so many things so that you cannot have a chance to pray. And saints of God, Satan knows, and you need to know, that prayer works. That prayer works. That Paul believed in prayer. And he also believed in the great benefit of praying for others. St. Paul is laboring in prayer, again, not for himself, but on behalf of others. In other words, congregation, you don't need to be a pastor to labor in prayer for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't need to be a pastor or an elder to take on the burdens of others and bring them before the Lord. You don't need to hold to the office of elder or pastor, the office of deacon. But saints of God, that is what you are commanded to do as a Christian. We can learn from Paul's example, saints. For St. Paul knew that although Satan was defeated, he still walks around like a lion waiting to devour the saints. That although, although saints, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, and although that we know that the gates of hell will not overpower the church, that does not mean Christians, that we are not on Satan's hit list, just because the holy angels are surrounding us and, 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 and protecting us and we have the, the holy trinity indwelling within us, it does not mean that your name is not on the great board in heaven. That your name is not on the wanted list in hell, I should say rather. Satan wants you. Satan wants to destroy you. Saints of God, as we, as Pastor Antonio was alluding this morning, and we are on a, we are in currently a spiritual battle. And each and every one of you are in a spiritual batter, battle. That Satan and his evil angels are working to steal your joy and ultimately to steal your faith. That's his aim, to kill you. He uses the world and the creativity of the world to turn your eyes off of Christ and to your own flesh and your own lusts and your own desires. The battle that we are in, congregation, is more intense than two teams striving to win a championship. The battle that we are in, congregation, there, there's more in line. There's more at stake at the battle that we are in than those who are currently in war. And don't get me wrong, if anyone's a veteran here or knows any veterans, my father was a veteran. Praise God for men and women who, who, who serve uh, America the way that they do. But saints of God, in war, lives and land and money are on the line. But in our battle, our souls are on the line. Our souls are on the line, congregation. We battle congregation, not an enemy that we can see, but we battle an unseen enemy. 
His traps are sly. His temptations come wrapped in a sweet fragrance. Congregation, I don't need to belabor this point. For you experience it every day. You experience and you know of the trappings and the temptations that Satan throws your way. You're quite aware of it. And based off the spiritual battles that we are in every day, isn't it ironic, congregation, that the one thing that we neglect is the one thing that we need so desperately. That the one thing that we neglect in our daily lives, which is prayer, is the one thing that we so desperately, we so desperately need. We need to pray, congregation. Hear me now. We need to pray. St. Paul prayed. Isaiah prayed. Jeremiah prayed. Abraham prayed. Moses prayed. In fact, the most unlikeliest of individuals prayed. Your Savior Jesus prayed. Jesus, the Lord of glory, prayed. And in his most trying hour, before he went to the cross in that Garden of Gethsemane, he falls on his knees. And what does he do? He prays. Saints of God, if Moses can pray, if Isaiah can pray, if, if all these men who we esteem for their great faith can pray, then saints of God, what makes us think that we can wake up in the morning, brush our teeth, comb our hair, get our clothes on, eat our breakfast, and then go on throughout our day without ever praying? If Jesus needed to pray, if all the saints of God before us needed to pray, and saints of God, how much more than we do we need to pray? We need to pray. Praying, congregation, is not the cherry on top of a Sunday. Praying is not the, the whipped cream that you put you know, in the middle of the ice cream and the cherry. No, prayer is the very base of our life. The first thing you do is pray. The middle thing you do is pray. The last thing you do is pray. Saints of God, we can't afford not to pray. Knowing the battles that we are in. You know the battles that you are in. Knowing the battles that we are in, we cannot afford to pray. But also, saints of God, knowing the battles that we are in, we cannot afford to pray for others. Because if we're going through it, our brothers and sisters are going through it as well. If we are being attacked in such a way, then how much more is my brother and sister in Christ getting attacked? Saints of God, one of the great signs of love that you can show is praying for your brothers and sisters of the faith. Thomas Aquinas, again, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, intellectual, theological minds that Christ has given to the church he asked this question in his Summa. He said, whether we ought to pray for others. He says, when we pray, we ought to ask for what we ought, when we pray, we ought to ask for what we ought to desire. Now we ought to desire good things, not only for ourselves, but also for others. For this is essential to love, which we owe to our neighbor. Oh, I love this quote, congregation. For what he says is, Love desires the good for another. 
That's what love is. Love desires the good for another. And when we pray, congregation, we are desiring the good for your brother and sister in Christ. He then goes on and brings up an objection to pray for others. He says, it would seem that we ought not to pray for others. On praying, we ought to confirm to the pattern given by the Lord. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, we make petitions for ourselves, not for others. Thus we say, give us this day our daily bread. Therefore, we should not pray for others. He uses, again, the Lord's Prayer, the example, which says, no, no, no. The Lord in his prayer says that we only pray for ourselves, not for others. And then he offers this rebuttal. He says, we say our Father, not my Father. Give us, not give me. Because the master of unity did not wish us to pray privately. That is for ourselves alone. For he wished each other to pray for all, even as he himself bore all in one. In other words, the word of God commands us to pray for one another. St. Paul in Romans 15.30 urges believers to pray for him. He says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, And by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Prayer, saints of God, to St. Paul was life. And prayer, saints of God, to St. Paul worked because it did work. But also Paul understood the importance of others praying for him. Others praying for him. Notice congregation now the second point, which is the congregation's aim. After Paul has spoken of his labors, he now speaks of his aim in his labors. Now, we have to ask, what is Paul aiming for in his labors? What is he, what is he aiming for? Verse 2 tells us that their hearts may be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged. Now, notice, saints, the encouragement is the very opposite of what Paul is going through. The very opposite of what he's going through. Paul is laboring and striving in agony in order that the Christians in Colossae would be encouraged. Meaning, all the suffering he's going through is for the betterment and the enjoyment of these Colossae Christians. That they will have peace in any situation. Matthew Henry explains this beautifully. He does not say that they may be healthy. He does not say that they may be merry and rich and great and prosperous, but that their hearts may be comforted. And then he says here, for all you ex, I myself included, uh, charismatic word of faith people, he says, note, the prosperity of the soul is the best prosperity. We have here a description of soul prosperity. The soul prosperity is the best type of prosperity. Saints of God, this is the greatest good that one could desire for another. It is for us to pray that, Lord, may my brother and sister in the faith live well and die well. That their soul, for as long as you keep them on this earth, will be comforted and will be well. Oh, saints of God, if you don't know what to pray for for your fellow brothers and sisters of the faith, just pray that. That, Lord, as long as they are here on this earth, remind them of the peace that they have in you. Remind them, Lord, of the comfort. 
of the great love that they have of you or you have of them? Now, we have to ask, how does St. Paul say these Colossian Christians would reach such encouragement? How does how how are these Christians to reach this encouragement that Paul is laboring for? Verse two. Having been knit together in love, having been knit together in love, saints, what ought to be the aim of every church? When a pastor is wanting to plant a church, what should be the very top aim of what he desires? There's a church I know of. It's about 10 minutes away from here. But the pastor says that the aim of his church that he desires is for his church to be a five-star church. A five-star church. And saints, this is the aim of many churches, sadly. For a great music team, for a great kids program, for monthly events, for no chairs in the building to be empty. That is the aim of many churches nowadays. But saints of God, this is not the aim that St. Paul says the church is to have. Here Paul says that the aim of every church ought to be love. That is the aim of Reformation Bible Church, that we more and more are knitted together in love. Love, saints of God, is to be the aim of every church. Why? Because love is the queen of the virtues. Because one day, faith will fly away. That one day, hope will fly away. And the only thing that you're going to be left with is the virtue of love. Love, saints of God, is the queen. It is the great, the great Christian ethic. Knowledge is important, don't get me wrong, but knowledge must be balanced with love. If knowledge is not balanced with love congregation, then it's like what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. It, it's a noisy gong and a clinging cymbal. St. John says, the one, who does not, uh, the one who does not love does not know God. Love, in many ways, is the Christian's identification card. As Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But saints of God, it must be noted that this type of love that we are striving for is not the, the world's idea of love. How can we best sum up the world's idea of love? Simply put, it's, it's based on a false, fake reality. You, you know this quite well. But what is the common classical saying right now in the world with regard to love? It's love is love. Love is love. Meaning that whatever love is, is based off of my own interpretation and my own reality. Love to the world is rooted in a false idea of love, saints of God. But this is not... This is not what the Christian idea of love is. The Christian idea of love is not a false view of love. To the world, some base love off of attractiveness, some off status. But saints of God, Christian love, true and authentic Christian love, is a love that does not see color. It only sees Jesus Christ. True, authentic Christian love does not see status. It only sees the Holy Spirit. Christian love congregation is not based on money. It's not based on power. It's not based on gender. It's not based on political party. It's not based on sports teams. It's not based on our favorite foods. 
But Christian love is based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Christian love is unconditional love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that's unselfish. It's a love that's self-giving. It's a love congregation that's concerned with the welfare of others. It's ultimately a love congregation that models the life of our Savior. And congregation, one of the ways that we show love towards one another is doing the very thing that we spoke of in point one. How can you show love for one another? By praying for one another. That is one of the chief ways, if not the chief way, you show that you love your brother and sister in Christ is by praying for one another. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Praying for one another congregation is a great sign of love, yes, but also it's a great sign of selflessness. It's a great sign of self-giving. It's a great sign that you're concerned for the brothers and sisters of your faith. Praying takes time. Does it not? Praying takes time away from things that you might want to do or things that you can't accomplish. But saints of God, when you pray for others, how much more are you showing your selflessness? That's why, saints of God, when when someone tells you, when someone tells you, I'm praying for you, do not take that lightly. When someone tells you, hey, I'm keeping you in my prayers, don't undermine that at all. Because what that person is saying to you is simply this, that I'm taking time out of my schedule and I'm lifting your name up to the Lord. That all my needs and all my desires with regard to myself and my family are placed on the back end. And I'm thinking about you. Saints of God, you know, those, those classic things that we love to tell people, I'm praying for you. Don't take that for granted. Don't take those things for granted, congregation. It should humble us when someone asks or someone tells us that they're praying for us. And then we should also do the same to them. Saying, you know what, I'm praying for you as well. And if I haven't prayed for you, I'm going to pray for you today. Pray for one another congregation. In order for Reformation Bible Church to keep striving, in order for us to, to, keep, to keep meeting together in the manner that we do, we must keep many things at the forefront. We must keep the worship of God and the and the, and the pure worship of God at the forefront, yes. But also we must keep love and prayer at the forefront as well. We must keep love and we must keep prayer at the forefront. If we do not keep love, if we do not keep prayer at the forefront of Reformation Bible Church, saints of God, we will fail. We will fail. Lastly, congregation, St. Paul says, And I'm just going to speak a little bit on this. He says at the end of, or rather, toward the end of verse 2, that they be knit together in love and that they would obtain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. There is so much there to unpack. And we're going to unpack that next Sunday afternoon. But what Paul is simply saying is this. The saints of God, what you have... What you have, congregation, is what the man with the most money in the world can never buy. What you have 
is worth more than anything that you could ever imagine. What you have, congregation, is Christ himself. And what you have is a knowledge of Christ himself. And what Paul is saying simply is this. Put your phones down. Put the magazines away. Turn off the world. And unlock and crack this mystery of Jesus Christ. There is a treasure, saints of God, waiting to be found. You think you love Christ now because you know that he loved you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He descended for you. He ascended for you and he's coming back for you. You think you love him now because of that knowledge. Here Paul is saying, now dive into the ocean and each and every one of those doctrines. Dive into the very depths of theology and unlock, saints of God, those mysteries and treasures that are waiting to be found. That's essentially what Paul is saying at the end of verse 2. And then he will talk about Christ being the wisdom and knowledge of God, which we will talk about next Sunday morning afternoon. What is the summary, what is the great summary of this of these first two verses, congregation? It's for you to be encouraged. It's for you to be encouraged. I think that is a lot of what Pastor Antonio was getting at this morning as well. It's for you to be encouraged. That saints of God are laboring as your elders. Is not me, like I did on Saturday morning, uh, sweating at the very apex of my being, trying to get this tile clean to get out of there. It's not a, it's not a laboring in that way. It's a fruitful laboring. It's a joyful laboring. The, the, the time that I've spent here to be your elder and to see much of your growth, it's all worth it. It's all worth it for myself and Pastor Antonio. There are many things, saints of God, that I'm not able to do and Pastor Antonio is not able to do. Many trips that we're not able to, to do. Uh, many times that I'm at a family function and I tell my wife, I have to go because i got to go study. But saints of God, it's a joy. It, it's not a burden. And don't ever think that the laboring that your pastor Antonio and I go through is a burden. Because it's certainly not. It certainly and most assuredly is a joy. So be encouraged this morning or this afternoon congregation and this morning as well and this entire day. Number one, that your elders love you. That your elders love you. If you were half awake during the whole time, let me, let me wake you up really quickly. And if there's anything that you don't get, get this. Pastor Antonio and I love you. And we care for you. And we want to see you, we want to see you live well and die even better. But also, congregation, the great encouragement is this. is for us to let that love flow. Let that love be shown. And how can we do that? Step one, praying for one another. Let's pray.